An unexpected invitation is a powerful thing, isn't it? Because it's not just a, a material gift that someone gives you, it's the gift of making you feel loved and important and valuable, like you were thought of, right? And I mean, I, I'm sure some of you in this room have had that moment where you're like, you're in a room, maybe a gathering or a, a party, a celebration, something like that. And you're like, you never thought you'd be in this room with these people. And you look around and you're like, <laughs> she said, yeah, on the front row. I was gonna say, you look around, you get this feeling of like, my people, like I belong here. Right. You know, like, is, like pinch me, is this too good to be true? And you feel that, right? That's a powerful feeling. How many have felt that before? That, that, that emotion I described. Now, on the flip side, everybody in the room, I'm not even gonna ask you to raise your hand because I know. Yeah, come on. Everybody in the room has felt the sting of being uninvited, right. of being left out, yeah. of Everyone else was invited, but I wasn't, because that's how, it's never true, but that's how it feels, right? That's the story we tell ourselves in our head. And the emotions, the feelings that go with that are totally different, right? Because then we feel rejected, we feel unloved, we feel unimportant, we feel unvaluable. We go from there to anger, bitterness. Some of you get to rage. Some of you get to revenge. <laughs> I'm gonna throw a party and not invite them. <laughs> You're laughing because some of you have done it. I'm gonna have my own thing. And so like we all know that because we felt the sting, to feel forgotten, to feel undervalued, to feel uninvited. And because we've all felt that, it's pretty real to us. But what we don't realize, I think, sometimes is that invitation, this idea of invitation, it's not just a good idea for us as believers, it's actually a pattern of the kingdom of God. Yeah. That the power of invitation is one of the most powerful things God's given us to use for his glory, so that others can know him. In fact, how many of you here in this room, whether you were invited to this church or you were invited to something else, an invitation played a role, from a, an invitation from a person played a role in you coming to Jesus? Just raise your hands. Look around, like half the room. It's a powerful thing. Guess what? There's some people not here because you haven't invited them yet because I haven't invited them yet. And so when, when you talk about patterns of the kingdom, it's kind of a big deal. I preached beginning of the month about a pattern of the kingdom. Uh, Brother Bill Walton, when he was here, he talked about keys of the kingdom, right? All these things are just about principles of God that unlock his goodness, his promises. Just like what we just talked about, tithing, right? It's a principle, it's a key of the kingdom, it's a pattern of the kingdom that God gave us. He says, hey, you do this, this is what'll happen. There's guarantees attached to it. And so the one we talked about, uh, the beginning of the month, I talked about this pattern of the kingdom of being, of the kingdom, it was three words, anybody remember? It was seen and heard. Seen and heard, seen and heard. And then every time that shows up, we looked in the book of Acts a bunch, every time it shows up, there's something else that happens there too. There's always a, when, the goodness of God is seen and heard, there's always a testimony. 
And so we summed it up. We said, see it, hear it, tell it. Could you say that with me? See it, hear it, tell it. It's a pattern of the kingdom. So, and how many have seen and heard some stuff over the last 60 days, 90 days at Bethel Harvest Church that you haven't seen a whole lot of, right? Like miracles. Again, how many of you personally received a miracle in the last 90 days? Look at that. Just hold on, keep your hands up. Look around, people. Miracles are happening in this place every single week. Listen, if we haven't heard your story yet, you need to... Get, you need to tell it. Thank you very much. You need to tell it and you need to email story at bhcfamily.com. Write it down right now. Story at bhcfamily.com. If you have not shared your story yet, we'd love to be able to hear what God's done, the miracles that's happened. I know there's some things from Take Charge Weekend that we just had that we haven't heard yet. So story at bhcfamily.com. You need to share your story. So today, can we push in on this other pattern of invitation? Because Easter is how many weeks away? Three. three weeks. It's three weeks away. It's three weeks away. Easter will be the largest attended Sunday in every church across America in three weeks. The largest attended Sunday of the year. Do we care about numbers? Yes, we do. Because more people in church means more people going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many know some people that need Jesus? Shoot, you're in church and you're like, I need me some Jesus today. How many have been going through some, seen some people going through some stuff or you've gone through stuff and, you're, and you've said out of your mouth, I don't know how people do it without Jesus. Because if I didn't have that hope, that assurance to hang on to. And so we have the answer, but maybe we're not feeling quite the urgency. We need the burden that we need to focus on those who are far from God. How do we know some people who are far from God? Say yes. Yes. How many know more people who are far from God probably than you do people that are on fire for Jesus? Yes. We've got to get a burden to say, you know what? They're my responsibility. They're Parker Dalton's responsibility. They're Michael Avery's responsibility. They're Zach Young's responsibility. There's Crystal Ball's responsibility. There's people you all know that I don't know. And there's people I know that you don't know. It's our responsibility to give an invitation. So if you want to turn to John 4, we're going to push in here. John 4. Pretty familiar story to most. It's the Samaritan woman at the well. And there's this woman who is the epitome of uninvited. She feels unimportant. She feels unloved. She feels rejected. She feels like nobody cares about her. Not only does she feel that way, because some of you feel that way, but you're surrounded by love. This woman, the culture is reinforcing it because as a Samaritan, she was less than, culturally less than. And the religious people she knew of, they reinforced that. The Jews were the ones saying, don't talk to the Samaritans, they're dirty. They don't believe like us. So she's a model of like, hey, this, listen, the way that woman felt is the way most unbelievers feel about us. Let that sink in a sec. The way that woman felt, uninvited, I don't belong, I'm judged, I'm not enough, 
I can't even talk to them because they're gonna judge me. The way that woman felt about Jesus and about religion back then is the way most unbelievers, people who are far from God, people, let's just say, out there instead of in here, that's how they feel about us in here as Christians in the church. And I see some nodding heads strongly and others just kind of sitting there because you know what? We don't want to admit that. We'd rather live in denial and think they love us. We love them. I love you, you love me. We're a happy family. But it's not reality, people. Let's read the Bible. Am I stepping on anybody's toes yet? Isn't this warm and fuzzy? Isn't this awesome? Hey, what we do with today matters. And I would not be serving you well as one of your pastors to allow you to be comfortable in that seat with your lack of passion and burden to reach the lost. Listen, I told Dream Team this morning before service started, I said, just get ready, pray, pray that this stirs people up because it convicted me while I was preparing this message. So don't think I'm pointing fingers here. I'm not pointing fingers. I've got to get more of a burden. I've got to get down on my knees and pray. I've got to have more conversations with lost and hurting and people far from God than I am. I've got to get some people in here on Easter Sunday morning that are only here because of a conversation they had with me. And they're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and they might find hope and peace, restoration and healing all because of I made an intention to invite them. John 4, starting in verse 4. Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the village that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking for a drink? Everybody say not enough. Everybody say uninvited. Say not important. That's how she felt, right? I mean, it's clear from that scripture. So was her view of religious people positive or negative? negative? Again, do you think people's view of us, the religious Christians, the followers of Jesus, overall, in general, do you think people who do not follow Jesus, is their view of the church and Christians positive or negative? negative. Still some of you denying that. Man, I didn't expect this part to be I love you too much to let you walk around with your head in the sand. Because here's the thing, if their view of us is negative, is it their responsibility to change their view of us or is it our responsibility to change their view of us? It's ours. It's ours. Everybody say it's ours. Yes. Church, we've got a responsibility. There are people dying and going to hell, spending eternity separated from God because we don't care enough. 
We've got to care. We've got to get a burden. We've got to get down on our knees and cry out to God. And say, God, show them show to me. Break my heart, God. Make me cry some tears today for people that don't know you. We've got to spend some time there. We can't just say a prayer on a Sunday morning. We've got to change. We've got to get uncomfortable. And here's the thing. I know who I'm talking to because let's just read this. Let's look at the Bible. Verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew, he's talking to this woman at the well. She said, you're a Jew, you're not supposed to talk to me. He says, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer a better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now Jesus has got, his, got her attention here. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again. And at first glance, you're like, oh man, he's got her. And then she says, and I won't have to come draw water at this well anymore. Not sure if he quite she gets it yet. She's like, you mean I don't have to come back to the well with this big heavy water pot? So Jesus is having a conversation and Jesus is loving her and Jesus is meeting her where she's at, but haven't quite got the traction yet. He didn't go far enough. And so Jesus takes another step. He goes a little supernatural on her. But not just supernatural. He goes supernatural without judgment. I mean, this isn't me talking. There are statistical studies that have been done that the top three things that the world perceives the church, the unbeliever perceives the church, number one, hypocritical and judgmental. Those are the top two, hypocritical and judgmental. I'm not sure which order it is, but top two, hypocritical and judgmental. So Jesus says, go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Like, do you think she was rocked in that moment? Like, whoa, nobody even knew that. Everybody else in the village lost count. I lost count. I had five. (laughs) You must be a prophet. So tell me, she continues, why is it that you Jews, see now she's deflecting. Do you see it? Now she's deflecting. She, She was impacted. She had a moment with God. Now she shifts it from me to religion. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim? 
where our ancestors worship. See, the woman asks a question about religion and Jesus, watch how he works here. Jesus redirects her to religion, off of religion to relationship. He redirects her to love. He redirects her to a heart of worship, like purity. Listen to what he does. He says, Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman. Don't, don't go past that. Believe me, dear woman. Dear woman who is important and loved and accepted and enough. Dear woman. That woman maybe had never heard those words come out of anyone's mouth. She probably heard, woman, give me some water. Woman, do this. But dear woman. Dear woman, he takes it to relationship. He takes it to love. He says, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter where you worship the father. See, she didn't talk about the father. Like the father's about relationship. She talked about worshiping this mountain, that mountain. She talked about religious protocol. But Jesus says, no, no, this is about, not about religious protocol. This is about a loving heavenly father who accepts you just as you are, not as you should be. When you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. See, he says, ah, that, that's, you're missing the point. It doesn't matter. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes from the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers, true worshipers like you, woman, because I just told you it doesn't matter which mountain, true worshipers, you can be a true worshiper, woman. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Listen to this phrase. The father is looking for those. See, she'd been trying to do the religious right thing by worshiping on this mountain or that mountain. But he says, he flips the script and he says, no, 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 no. The father is looking for you. He's pursuing you. He's looking for true worshipers. She wasn't ready for that. She was ready to keep God at arm's length because of religious protocol, because of the do's and don'ts of religion. And can I tell you, people out there, that's what they wanna do. Now, I'm not trying to create a contrast. We're, we're all loved by God. But there are people who are far from God who don't know him, and they're not here yet. I'm creating that contrast for this morning for us to recognize, for us to take our responsibility to reach them, to love them to show them grace, to show them not religion, but the heart of the father that says, not only is the father pursuing you, I'm gonna pursue you. I'm gonna drive to your house and pick you up Easter Sunday morning. Oh, but the dresses and the kids and... Stop it. So the father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So he takes it to the heart to love and to the father and to relationship and to spirit and truth. But I want you to understand, he said some things in that little piece that I just read that she didn't like hearing either. Like he did not compromise his theology. He did not water anything down. He was firm in his theology, but he did it without judgment. He was firmer in love than he was in theological correctness. See, Jesus is modeling for us how you and I need to interact with people that don't know him. To slow down, have a conversation. 
to maybe have a conversation with some people you haven't had conversations with. People that like, they aren't like you. They believe different. They live different. Maybe they're not just not like you. You know they don't like you. They've said bad things about you or you people. Can I say something to you? There's some people living in a homosexual lifestyle that you are scared to have a conversation with because they're living differently than you would. And they need your love. Some of y'all are gonna be having some conversations with some people that are living a different lifestyle than you. And please do, do not get all theological on them. Jesus didn't. Get all about love on them. And acceptance and belonging. They feel uninvited. Disqualified. They're waiting for some real Christians to love them. I mean, not this woman, but the other woman was basically that Jesus encountered and they all cast the first stone. And Jesus said, he who without sin cast the first stone. She was living in an adulterous, promiscuous lifestyle. Nobody else was talking to her. None of the religious people were talking to her, but Jesus walked up and talked to her. And did he judge her? He loved her. He said, go and sin no more. His love set her free. Not his rules, regulations, theology. Because love wins. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is? Everybody say, love wins. The woman said, verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming. See, arm's length, right? Oh, I know he's coming. The one who is called Christ, when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Like, mic drop. (laughs) I think between verse 26 and 27, there was a, a little interlude of silence. I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples came back. There had to be like a moment like where she was like, now what do I say? Now what do I do? Because I was trying to keep him at arm's length. And now he's saying, I'm the Messiah. And he, prof- he knew stuff that he couldn't know. He's a prophet. Like, what do I do now? Just then disciples come back. <coughs> and she's processing this. Just then the disciples come back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? How many get the feeling that the disciples would have handled this woman, this situation a lot different than Jesus? Yes. (laughs) They walked and talked with them for three years and they still didn't get it yet. So that's why I have a certainty that in this room, many, if not most of us, need a reminder, a stirring, maybe even a firm word to remind us that how we're making these interactions happen, it matters. Whether or not we carry a burden to love people like Jesus loved them. The woman, the disciple said that, and then it says in verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Everybody say, come and see. see. 
No, you just said that like, come and see like, come and see like your life depends on it and people are gonna be saved if you do it. Everybody say, come and see. Come see. see, that's the invitation. The, the pattern, that, like that phrase, come and see, it only occurs four times in the New Testament. All of them in the Gospel of John and all of them are an invitation. Wow. All very unique in how they show up, but it's a theme in the Gospel of John, come and see. Give an invitation, come and see. Things are happening Miracles are happening and there's proof of who Jesus is. Come and see. Come and see. How many things, some things have happened at Bethel Harvest Church in the last couple of months that you can just say, come and see. I ain't got to preach no sermon on that. That woman was deaf. Now she hears. Come and see. Billy, see over there? He is there. Couldn't see. Now he's seeing. Come and see. There's proof. And so this uninvited, I don't belong, I don't matter, Samaritan woman, now becomes the one giving the invitation. The uninvited becomes the one who issues the invitation. And all it took was one encounter with Jesus for her to believe. And what happened? One encounter with Jesus for her to believe enough that she was loved, that she was accepted, that she mattered. Amen. That she didn't have to follow the rules of religion that she'd been told this mountain or that mountain. But she could just be changed by an encounter with Jesus. And don't you love how she exaggerates when she goes to the city? Come and see a man who's told me everything I ever did. Like some, some newly saved people, they like to be exaggerating their stories. She might have said that because she didn't want to tell them what he did tell her, so it's easier to say everything I ever did. <laughs> Maybe a little self-protection there. But she gave an invitation. She didn't wait. She didn't go get some schooling. She didn't bounce it off 10 different people. She didn't ask for permission. She just issued an invitation. And then the result, verse 30, so the people came streaming from the village to see him. So like, this is it. I mean, can you imagine Jesus in this moment? Like this is Jesus in his element. He had one conversation with a woman who was far from God. He loved her. He accepted her. He helped her see herself the way she could not see herself. And she walked away changed. She left her water pot. She abandoned the baggage of what she had. And she went back and she told everybody, come and see a man. Told me everything I did. Could he be the Messiah? And now people are streaming out from the village to come and see Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus? And it's like, he's, in, he's making his move. In fact, making his move. He's, hey, anybody in here know how to make your move? On the count of three, make your move. Are y'all on the count of three? One, two, three, make your move. Woo! You guys are good. Some of you think we're crazy. It's all right. Jesus was making his move. He was like, yes, this is what it's all about. And then there's the disciples. The disciples are still missing it. The Bible says, meanwhile, Jesus over here in his moment, people are streaming out. He's like, here they come, here they come. The lost people, they're far from me. I get to tell them the truth. 
Meanwhile, the disciples, <laughs> the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Do you see these people coming out? The disciples, did, did somebody bring him some food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other, what's he talking about? Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up! <laughs> Can I tell you, as I was preparing my message, that was, I didn't know that was coming. Like the, it was come and see, come and see the invitation. And then I was reading, literally laughed out loud. Yes. I was like, wake up again, really? <laughs> but I say, wake up and look around. Can you imagine Jesus? He's telling this to the disciples and he's saying, but guys, wait, wake up, look, look around. They're coming from the village. They're streaming out. This is the mission we're on, guys. This is it. It's not just miracles, it's these people. Wake up, disciples. He says, look around, the fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. And I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. Disciples of Jesus, I think it's time we wake up. The disciples were focused on food, on physical food, on nourishment. And make no mistake, Jesus was hungry, said he was tired after, he was weary after the journey when he sat down at that well. But all of a sudden, when he started interacting with this woman, was he thinking about food anymore, yes or no? No. He was only thinking about that woman. This is actually why we're, the week before Easter, We've done one seven-day fast. The week before Easter, we're doing a second seven-day fast leading up to Easter because we're gonna push back our plates like Jesus did in this moment. And we're gonna focus on our priority because we are not the priority coming into Easter. Buy a new dress if you want, but be ready to serve and love people. Think about what you're gonna cook for Easter dinner. That's great. I mean, honestly, as I say that, I'm looking forward to what Katie and her mom are gonna cook for Easter dinner because it's always amazing. But listen, people better be in church on that Sunday morning because of me, because of you. That's our priority. And so the week leading up to Easter, we're gonna have a seven-day fast. Just go ahead and plan on it now. You're gonna push back your plate. You're not fasting social media or TV. You're fasting some food. Like that's what fasting is in reality, food. So you don't have to do a full fast. You can do a Daniel fast. You can do, I'm not gonna eat desserts, not bread, what, what, but you're gonna fast. That's right. 
the week leading up to Easter. So we're gonna set ourselves. We're starting right now. Listen, we are in preparation zone for a harvest of souls on Easter Sunday. That's what this message is about. You are enlisted, you have a responsibility, you and I, people are gonna be saved. They're gonna come to faith in Jesus because of you, because of me. Mitch, even in Somerset, don't don't disqualify yourself from making invitations just because they're in Somerset. There's some people that need to be in church on Easter Sunday because of you. And you've got the influence too, because they respect you more than you would ever give, them, give yourself credit for, they respect you. So we're gonna be the ones giving the invitation. I mean, it, the whole gospel is an invitation to people, right? Jesus, here's the thing. The disciples in the story, in this moment, who are not really living up to the name, right? I mean, these are the 12 apostles of our faith. We're here because of them, but in this moment, Hey, food, Jesus, food, the food's here. Forget about the woman, the food. Here's what they forgot. Here's what we forget. It wasn't that long ago that they were uninvited. It wasn't that long ago that they felt like they didn't belong, that they felt forgotten and unimportant and unloved and rejected. It wasn't that long ago, but somehow it seems impossible. They forgot. And I know some of your stories in this room of how God has saved you. you, Some of y'all ought to be dead, but you're not. Some of y'all, you grew up in church your whole life and you disqualify your story to be able to minister to other people. I don't care what your story is. It is a tool to minister to other people. What did this woman do? Did she preach a sermon? No, she shared just a piece of her story, exaggerated as it was, not encouraging that part, but it was. He showed me everything I knew. And then she gave an invitation, come and see. And then Jesus took care of the rest. See, an invitation and a little bit of your story will beat a sermon any day of the week and then let Jesus take care of the rest. I mean, it seems impossible that we can forget what Jesus saved us from and the hope and the assurance and the transformation that we've experienced. But can I just tell you, don't beat yourself up. The disciples were walking and talking with the man like they could touch him and see him. And yet somehow they forgot to. So again, I'm not pointing fingers here. I'm just reminding us and stirring us up just like Jesus did with this woman. He used this moment with this woman to remind them, fellas, look around. Wake up! He said it. Just repeating what he said. Wake up. Because here's the thing we can do. We can sleepwalk through this life, through our day in, day out, throughout the week, and we are sleepwalking by people who don't know him, who are far from him, 
who have looked at every Christian they've ever interacted with has judged them. They look at this room from the outside and they say, I don't belong there. I won't be loved and accepted there. And we can sleepwalk right by them. And what we don't see, come here, Tony, if you don't mind. When you're living this thing right and you're shining the light of Jesus, you're, you're living for him, you're living with integrity, you love people well, you're kind, you're encouraging people. You're not perfect, but you don't claim to be perfect. People like that, by the way. They can relate to your imperfection a lot more than your perfection. But when you're in proximity to someone who's far from God, we'll say Tony's far from God, and you're in the room with them, you think they're just in the room and you think you're just walking by and they're not even aware of it. And you think they're, oh, they're just, you just slept, sleepwalked right by them, right? But you know what the reality is? Like, now I'm gonna make myself far from God. You, 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 you be the Christian, like walk by. Like this is, keep walking. Like they're, they're like, ah! they're desperate for what you have. And they see something in you and they're just like, I don't wanna ask. I'm ashamed to ask. I don't wanna ask, but like there's something different about him. I want what he has. And they're just, they're just, they're crying on the inside. They're broken, they're hurting. They feel forgotten and left out and unimportant. And you think they don't know. But if you're living this thing right, they know. And they want what you have. And here's the thing, I'm not asking you, thank you, Tony. I'm not asking you to get up on a stool in your office and start preaching to people. All I'm asking you to do is what this woman did. Because the uninvited found Jesus. This is the pattern. The uninvited, the forgotten, found Jesus, found acceptance, transformation by Jesus. And then she becomes the one giving the invitation. Like too many believers have stopped here. You found Jesus, you're transformed. You found hope and healing and restoration. I got my ticket to heaven. This was never God's intention for us to stop here. You've got to move on to the invitation to bring as many people as you can to tell them the truth. Because if you don't tell them, if you don't say, hey, man, God's really made a difference in my life. Why don't you come and see what he's doing on Easter Sunday morning? Literally, it's all you gotta do. And then let Jesus take care of the rest. How many of you believe that if you get people in here on Easter Sunday morning, they're gonna feel his presence, they're gonna see that he is real, and they're gonna get an opportunity to respond to the gospel? But we have to do our part. We've got to get a burden. We've got to change the way we're thinking. And when we do, verse 39 happens. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because, everybody say because. 
because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. Here's the truth. 82% of unchurched people are somewhat likely to attend church if they're invited. 80, say it out loud, 82%. 82%. And too many of us are walking around in fear of what are they gonna think about me? What if they say no? I love you. Stop it! They need you to step up. They need you to get down on your knees and start praying for them. They need you instead of sleepwalking right by them to pause, even if you're weary from the journey that you're traveling like Jesus was, to say, you know what, my exhaustion, my burdens, my, that doesn't matter compared to this person because if I don't talk to them, they'll never know. And so that, that's our challenge, to be those who give the invitation. The disciples, Jesus said, come and follow me. They received the invitation. Then they started following Jesus. And in that moment with that woman, Jesus had to wake them up. I don't know how long that was in the journey, a year, two years. But he said, he had to wake them up and say, fellas, look around. The fields are ripe for the harvest. If you have a journal uh, or type it on your phone, pull it out. I want you to write down something for me. Not for me, for you, for Jesus. Because it'd be silly not to stir us up in this way without putting action to it immediately. And so I want you to write down the names, right? Type on your phone the names of three people that God, I mean, this should be pretty easy because he's gonna give them to you pretty quick. Three people you're gonna invite to Easter Sunday. It'd really be great if they don't have a church home, by the way. Yeah. We're not trying to transfer people here. We're trying to bring in people into the kingdom. Yeah. Write those names down. Write them or type them. I'm hoping every, everybody can participate. You don't need a journal right now, so. People got nervous because I walked back here. <laughs> Way to write them down, Chad. Way to write them down. That's awesome. Does my mic work all the way back here? Okay, so after you write those three names down, um, write down the one that you're avoiding writing down. That hard one, that one that you're like, well, I'd invite them, but they'd never say yes. Don't act like you didn't have one of those. It might've popped in your mind earlier when I was talking, but write it down. Now, here's the challenge. I'm not gonna do it right now. Some of you are fast typers. You could probably do it right now. I want you to take out your phone and text them, whether you do it right now or you do it right after service. Some of you, you know what? Do it right now. I'm not nervous here, people. We got time. You're like, why are we taking time? Because this is the most important thing. Like never leave the side of a decision without taking action. Like invite those people right now, send them a text and then you can follow up on it later. 
Not enough fingers typing here. Come on, people. Invite some people to church. Hallelujah. Remember, there was about half the room here because you received an invitation. Let's not forget that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some of you aren't texting yet. You're like, I need to pray about it. Just, hey. Just do it. Just, just do it. Like, this isn't like a should I or should I not invite them. Go through the first three contacts in your phone that live in Lexington or the area and just invite them. This does not require prayer preparation, people. Yes, you should pray over it. Now, here's the other thing. I had you write it down because this is what I want you to do with that. I want you to leave room for nine other names right where you wrote them down or in that note in your phone, because every week there's gonna be three more names that you add to that list. And then Good Friday, that'll give us the nine. So by the time we get through these three weeks, you will have definitely invited 12 people to come to church on Easter Sunday morning. What if they all show up? Amen. What if because of you, one out of 12 of your people gave, your life, gave their life to Jesus? What if 82%, somebody'd have to do the math for me on that, 82% out of that 12 are somewhat likely to respond to your invitation to attend church if you just invite them. I think that means you'll get at least two people coming to church, right? 82%. So don't let that moment pass you by. 